Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings to all of you on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I want to welcome all of us uh, here at Center Street Church, those of us meeting here at Central Campus, as well as those uh, watching us online. Over the last few weeks, we, the community pastors team at Central Campus, we've been busy introducing people to community. I'm happy to let you know this fall, over 25 new community groups have started all across our city. And we do this because we believe life change happens in community. And we believe that a community group offers an ideal setting for you to be engaged in discipleship and mission. If you want to learn more about uh, what it means to lead a community group, I want you to know that our team is offering an orientation evening, which will be followed by a four-week training for those exploring group leadership. So you can stop by uh, at the Connect table after the service for more information. I've titled my message today, A Thanksgiving Lament. You know, I admit it is an odd title. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Aren't we all supposed to be happy, maintain a joyful disposition, count our blessings, and express our gratitude to God, and maybe get back to normal life on Tuesday? You know, here is a typical Thanksgiving sermon, the story of the ten lepers. All ten of them received healing, but only one returned back to give thanks. Have you remembered to give thanks, or are you forgetful? A Thanksgiving service is all about making you feel guilty for not being thankful enough. And that's why a Thanksgiving lament sounds bewildering, almost contradictory, like a clown performing in a funeral. It doesn't seem to fit. And yet, I want to make a case today how lament could actually lead you to Thanksgiving. We're going to look at an age-old spiritual practice that has somehow been sidelined in our contemporary Western churches. For modern-day Christians assume the only mood that is fitting for worship is a joyful one. After all, that is how we design our worship services in most evangelical churches. Upbeat songs, vibrant music, clapping and dancing, hands raised high in the air, and we sing songs of praise. Now, don't get me wrong, all of these are meaningful acts of worship, they are necessary, and they have biblical precedence. But the question I'm raising today is, is there room in our liturgy to express disappointments, brokenness, and grief? What if you're going through a difficult season of life right now, like the people I know and I have been ministering to in the last few weeks? A young mom with two little kids who's been diagnosed with cancer and given less than a year to live. A person with a long-standing battle with mental illness and bouts of depression. A family still reeling from the news of their son murdered by a mob a few years ago. A middle-aged man who has been looking for work with no success for over two years. A parent whose teenager is rebelling and doing things that's breaking her heart. And I can think of at least a few couples whose marriages 
are on the brink of divorce. Now, do we need to pressure these people to be thankful? Are they less spiritual if they are not feeling so thankful this weekend? You know, I receive feedback on my sermons, and I welcome them especially if they are constructive criticisms. A person once approached me and said, your sermons are encouraging and they give hope, but you focus so much on answered prayers. God working in amazing ways. You emphasize on the positive. You always end on a high note. But that is not my experience with God. My initial thought was, don't you want sermons to give hope? Why listen to them anyway? You might as well watch the morning news instead. But I realized what the person was articulating was the fact that our churches don't do very well with grief. We don't seem to have a capacity to handle sadness. And it has been a poignant reminder to me that every time we celebrate answers to prayer, there are many people sitting right here with legitimate petitions that remain unanswered. Every time we talk of someone coming to faith in Christ, there are parents with prodigal kids wondering, when is my kid going to return back to the Lord? When we mention about someone miraculously healed of cancer, there are cancer patients wondering what is deficient with my faith. When we highlight a marriage that has been restored, we leave many wondering why God didn't restore their marriage. The solution to this problem is not to stop celebrating those God stories, not at all. I think the solution to this problem is to give some room in our liturgy for people to express their disappointments and grief. The book of Psalms, which was the hymn book of Israel, used for corporate worship, contains not just happy songs of praise. In fact, one-third of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament. The psalmist speaks with such gut-wrenching honesty to God that would make today's Christians uncomfortable because we are not used to talking to God like that. And we have an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. Have you read it? It's a dark and depressing book. Not a popular book. That's why you don't hear many sermons from Lamentations. Certainly not on a Thanksgiving weekend. And yet this book presents to us a significant dimension of our worship that has been ignored. For lament is a path we need to take in order to go from despair to hope. What is a lament? A lament is an agonizing cry from the heart. A painful protest of a person who finds God's promises to be far-fetched. There's a gap between what God has promised and what the person is currently experiencing. And the book of Lamentations offers us a language to express our struggles and to bridge that gap. Prophet Jeremiah is traditionally presented as the author of this book, and Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. 
He prophesied in Jerusalem for 40 years, warning them of the coming judgment, and yet not a single person responded to Jeremiah's message. Instead, they persecuted Jeremiah, imprisoned him, abused him physically, and ridiculed him for years. Jeremiah saw his own prophecies come to pass as the powerful Babylonian empire invaded Judah and ravaged the city. It resulted in multiple deportations of people to Babylon. The temple of God, which carried a sentimental value for the Jew, the place where the glory of God dwelt, the center of Jewish worship was ransacked. There was carnage everywhere, and the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. And the few people who were left behind in Judah suffered greatly. They lived under desperate conditions. There was extreme famine, starvation, and in the words of Jeremiah, women were seen eating their own babies. Now, you can imagine the horror of witnessing things like that. In modern-day terms, Jeremiah suffered from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is why Jeremiah could not clap and sing songs of praise. He was heartbroken, crushed in spirit, writhing in pain, so he lamented. And in the midst of the lament, you see his deep-rooted faith in God. And Jeremiah is not just venting his emotions, but the book of Lamentations is artistic. It is a collection of five poems with vivid imageries and striking pictures, the work of a skilled artist. And it is this book in the Bible that helps us to understand how sometimes thanksgiving is born out of lament. So we're going to read our text for today from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we read God's word. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out a cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. 
So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Lord, we wait quietly in your presence today. For we want to hear your voice. We want to receive the message that you have for us. And I pray especially for those who are going through a difficult season of life. God, would you bring encouragement to them? That you'll give us uh, the language of lament to express our disappointments. And by your grace, Lord, move us from lament that we will be able to praise you and worship you and declare our trust and confidence in your faithfulness. So come and minister to us in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, on a Wednesday morning, I heard Jason Caldwell speak here in this very place. Jason is the father of the two teenagers who were killed in the bobsled crash in Canada Olympic Park a couple of years ago in our city. And that was a terrible, terrible tragedy. And standing here, Jason spoke of how the words of Psalm 23 has sustained him and his wife this past two years. As he meditated portions of this well-known psalm, it brought him comfort that only Jesus can bring. And his message that day was powerful and a significant reminder of how God helps us to cope with our personal tragedies and how sometimes a ministry is birthed in the midst of pain and sorrow. Around the same time Jason spoke, I was reading the book of Lamentations, and I couldn't help but notice the contrast between the shepherd of Psalm 23 and the shepherd of Lamentations chapter 3. What we read in Lamentations 3 is the inverted shepherd metaphor. This will make some of you very uncomfortable, so here's a disclaimer. These are not actual attributes of God, but they are Jeremiah's perceptions and feelings as a result of his personal pain. His experiences caused Jeremiah to question God's character, and it distorted his view of God. Jeremiah is going to spill his guts out. He speaks with such tenacity and accuses God, and he lives to tell the story, so that is good news. And yet what is even more amazing to me is God chose to include this piece, this ranting, as part of his inspired revelation. 
God didn't say, Jeremiah, you maligned my character. You slandered my name. You need to throw these writings in the trash. And instead, God says, those writings need to belong in this book because some of us would need it at a certain point in our life. So it's there in our Bibles for a reason. Now, I want to show you the contrast between the good shepherd of Psalm 23 and the shepherd of Lamentations chapter 3. Now, look at the familiar words in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd's rod brings comfort and assurance because it's a tool that he uses to defend his flock. Now look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. Now this is a personal testimony of a person who has seen deep distress. He's gone through things that we cannot even conceive in our minds. And what does he say? He uses the same word for the shepherd's rod, but this time it doesn't feel so comforting. It is the rod of the Lord's wrath. The comforting symbol of protection has now turned into a weapon of attack. And rather than protecting the sheep, the shepherd is using the rod against the sheep. The good shepherd in Psalm 23 he gathers the sheep and he gently leads them to green pastures and quiet waters. What do you see in Lamentations? Chapter 3, verse 2. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Now this shepherd is a bit different. He's not gently leading the flock. He is driving them. That's a forceful word. And the destination is not green pastures or quiet waters. He's driving them to a place of darkness. Now, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, he pours oil on the sheep's wounds. It's a balm that heals. Look at Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 4. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. Ouch. This shepherd in Lamentations, he breaks bones. The good shepherd of Psalm 23 is so sensitive to the needs of the sheep that they are not in want. But the shepherd of Lamentations turns a deaf ear to their desperate cries for help. Verses 8 to 9. Even when I call out a cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. The sheep that is stuck cries out for help, but they get ignored, neglected, and disdained. The good shepherd of Psalm 23 takes care of the sheep even when they walk through the darkest valley one of the most reassuring pictures in Psalm 23. He protects them from the wild beasts like the bears and the lions that are prowling around. And what do you find in Lamentations? Are you ready for this? 
Some of you are about to stone me, but I remind you, I didn't write these words. These are Jeremiah's words. You can blame him. Verses 10 to 12. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. So this shepherd, he's not protecting the flock from wild animals. He has become like a wild animal, tearing flesh and ripping the flock into pieces. And he's an archer who's using his bow and, and using the sheep as a target practice. Oh my goodness. Feeling a bit encouraged in your spirit so far? Are you glad you came to church this Thanksgiving? Wait, it's going to get worse. The good shepherd prepares a table, a feast for you and before your enemies. What does the shepherd of Lamentations do? Verses 15 and 16. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. There's no feast here, only a diet of bitter herbs and gall, which literally means poison. And to make things worse, he breaks your teeth and shatters them. Now Psalm 23 finishes on this high note. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Jeremiah says in chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. What Jeremiah is saying here is, when I close my eyes, the very first thing that comes to mind are not the goodness and the love of God, I remember my afflictions. I cannot delete those memories. My heart is bitter and my soul is downcast. This is a classic case of clinical depression. Yes, it appears one of the most godliest men in the Old Testament suffered from depression. And Jeremiah says here, all my hope has evaporated. The future looks so bleak. I'm walled in and there is no way of escape. Now by this time, we may get tired of Jeremiah's rantings and we may say, Jeremiah, that's enough. Enough. You need to shut up. Do you dare to talk to God like that? Don't you realize you're tarnishing the image of God? Don't you know you're blaspheming the name of God? What is wrong with you, Jeremiah? You need to start on your meds. No wonder people don't want to listen to you. And Jeremiah would look at you and me and say, if you have been in my place, and you have witnessed what I have witnessed and experienced what I have experienced, if you've been treated the way I have been treated, if you know the depth of my pain and the anguish of my soul, you will have some sympathy for me. Now let me make this clear once again. Whatever Jeremiah has said so far about God are his subjective 
personal feelings. It does not reflect the true character of God. But in that moment, Jeremiah perceived God to be a cruel shepherd. And these were real feelings. There are many of us here today, we are experiencing God like the shepherd of Psalm 23. He has met our needs. He has guided us in the paths of righteousness. He has prepared a feast for us before our enemies. He has healed our wounds by anointing us with oil. Let us celebrate God's goodness and express our gratitude this Thanksgiving, for God is indeed the good shepherd who takes care of his flock. There are some of you sitting here right now in this season of life, you cannot relate to Psalm 23. It feels like God has not taken good care of you. It feels like your needs are unmet. And if you feel that way, don't beat yourself up for it, for you have a great prophet named Jeremiah for company. For sometimes in life, hope seems like wishful thinking or mere platitude. When God's character doesn't line up with your personal experience, the idea of a loving God seems to be so unrealistic. What do you do when you have no trophies of answered prayers to show off, but rather one disappointment after another? Do we just put on a pretend face and say praise the Lord along with everybody? The Psalms of Lament, as well as the Book of Lamentations, reassure us that a believer doesn't have to pretend. But we can express our honest doubts to God without fear that he's going to strike us back. It's a privilege God has given to us. And it is better to speak honestly than feign our feelings and pretend like we are fine, because God knows our hearts anyway. Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, writes, throw at God your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, and your disappointment. He can absorb them all. Now, I want to make an important distinction here. You need to know, lamenting is not the same as complaining, although they may seem like identical on the outside. The Bible is very clear. God hates grumbling and complaining, but he permits and even encourages lamenting. What is the difference? See, whining and grumbling puts the focus on us, our needs not being met. And it demonstrates distrust, unbelief, continues to take us in an abyss of discontent. A clear example of that are the Israelites who repeatedly complained in the wilderness because they lacked faith in God's promises. But unlike grumbling, a lament is an expression of faith. 
It is because we take God's promises seriously and because we have high expectations of God, we lament and protest when His promises don't seem to match with our experiences. While lament expresses grief and anger, it is also a reminder to God of His great promises. Now, I can show you many examples of lament in the Bible, but the one that stands out to me is the model of our Lord Jesus Himself. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, his body beaten to pulp, at the height of his physical, emotional, and spiritual agony, where does Jesus turn to? Of all the places in the scripture, of all the places in the scripture, Jesus goes to Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. That's where he drew his comfort in his hour of greatest need. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, mustering all his strength, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a cry of lament a cry of anguish of a person who witnessed the father's face turn away at the time he needed the father's presence desperately. But even in that anguish cry of feeling of abandonment lies hope. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are my God. You have promised to be with me always, and yet I am not feeling your presence right now. Help me. And I tell you, only someone who belongs to God can say these words. Lament is an exclusive privilege of the believer. It is also an act of worship modeled by our Lord himself. And that is why you would see this in the Bible. A cry of lament serves to move you closer to God and not away from Him. Let me show you how. Jeremiah had hit the lowest of lows. He was down on the floor, completely shattered, in deep bout of depression. And we are right in the middle of the book of Lamentations. It has five chapters, and we are at the dead center of the book, and it is here you find a gem, a treasure from God's word in the midst of the hopelessness that all surrounds the picture. You know, it's for a reason these hope-filled words are placed right at the center of the book. Because at the very core of lament is hope and confidence in a faithful God. Now look at the next set of verses. Lamentations 3, verses 21 to 23. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, if you get to these verses without the background or the context that's surrounding it, then our message will be skewed. Jeremiah did not start with this note of hope, but he eventually arrived here 
through the path of lament. There are times in your life you cannot sing of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. So you lament. But in the midst of the lament, God shows up and he does a mysterious work. And from down in the depths, we start the slow upward climb. A remarkable change takes place, not necessarily in our circumstances, but most certainly in our attitude. Now let me unpack this profound set of verses for us. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You know, in the midst of all the disappointments, Jeremiah intentionally did something that caused the shift. He called to mind something that in turn brought back the lost hope. So hope that was gone previously is now being restored back to him. The word call to mind is a conscious, determined action that goes against the face of all circumstances. It is a deliberate teeth-gritting decision to call something to mind. This is an act of the will, not an act of the emotions. And even though the present circumstances contradicts it, Jeremiah vows to remember. What is he calling to mind? What brought back the lost hope? It's meditating on this truth. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah is remembering. He's calling to mind the character of God. And this time, it is not based on his subjective feelings, but it is based on God's inspired word. This is the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. And this is deep-rooted in the experiences of God's people from generations past. This is objective truth. The word for great love or steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. And it speaks of God's covenantal love for his people. This is a God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations of those who love him. His compassion or mercies never fail. The word for compassion signifies a warm, emotional, tender care like that of a mother for her newborn baby. So the compassion of God keeps flowing. They don't cease. They are new morning after morning. And lastly, Jeremiah says, great is your faithfulness. You know, all along, he had been accusing God, but now he speaks to God directly, and he says, great is your faithfulness. God, you are dependable. You are trustworthy. I can count on you. See, a remarkable shift had taken place that had moved Jeremiah from lament to praise. And that realization came and Jeremiah understood that God's word and his promises are true regardless of the circumstantial evidence. What that means is, because of God's character, 
who he claims himself to be, we know without a shadow of a doubt that God will not let his people down. He has made a covenant with his people. He will not break it. And the fog all of a sudden lifted up and Jeremiah could finally see through the eyes of faith. Whenever the Babylonians attacked a nation, they decimated them. There was nothing left except ruins. It was complete annihilation. But Judah was not fully consumed. Oh yes, there was massive destruction, deportation, and chaos. But Judah was not finished yet because of God's covenantal love. The ruins will one day come back to life. And Jeremiah himself prophesies that the people who have been deported will be brought back to the land and established. And that prophecy happened in 70 years time. So things were far from over, and that realization resulted in a fresh infusion of hope, gratitude, and thanksgiving. Now, do you know something? When you place your faith in Christ, you become part of a covenantal community, and it is to this community God vouches his promises and his guarantee. The new covenant, which is sealed by the blood of Jesus, assures us that we are part of God's own family. That is our identity. We are sons and daughters of the King. John chapter 1 verse 12 declares, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But that is the identity of the covenantal community. If we belong to Jesus, that is who we are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in the bleakest, darkest moment of your life, you can rejoice in the fact that the God who made heaven and earth has made a personal covenant with you. That he has adopted you into his own family. He has chosen you before the foundations of this world. He has redeemed you for a reason. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. God is faithful to his covenant forever. God's people all through history have gone through hard times and yet they have maintained that testimony of God's faithfulness. God doesn't always do what we want him to do. He doesn't always answer prayers the way we want him to answer. He doesn't lead us in a path that we anticipated. But one thing you can be certain, he's not going to let you down because you are his child and you have his covenantal promise. So with this realization, Jeremiah continues in verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. You know, all along, the Israelites thought 
the promised land was their portion. That was their inheritance. But now the Babylonians had taken it away from them. But Jeremiah learned something in the height of grief. The Lord is my portion, not the promised land. God himself is our, our inheritance that you cannot take away from us. So he chooses to wait on the Lord. And that is a guarantee even today. We are not spared from trials. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. But nothing can separate us from the love of God that has been revealed in Jesus Christ because God himself is our portion. He is our inheritance. In the fall of 2009, I wrote my very first psalm of lament. It was the same year my wife and I had immigrated to Canada I came as an international student, enrolled in seminary, and it was one of the most challenging years of our life. Nobody had prepared us for it. We didn't have a proper place to live. We had very little money. It was our first experience with Canadian winter. It is not very pleasant to take public transit when it is minus 25 out there. I go to school daily and come back late in the evening to find my wife in tears because she's been home all day with nobody to talk to. I wanted to preach, so I called that denomination and inquired if there are any churches that are looking for pulpit supply, and the doors were shut tight. I applied here at Center Street Church for a caretaker position, didn't even get a call back. You know, it made no sense. Why would God bring us to a foreign country and not take care of us, not provide for our needs, not open doors, not hear our prayers? Hello, God, are you there? And all I could express was taking the time to write my own personal psalm of lament, and I questioned God's love and his faithfulness. Now just this past week, as I was preparing this message, I went back to that Psalm of Lament that I wrote eight years ago and reread it, and it brought tears to my eyes. The circumstances had changed, but what was even more amazing was the character of God. And all I could say was, wow, God, thank you. Your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And there are some of you sitting here right now. You may not be able to sing of his steadfast love and faithfulness at this moment. And I want to encourage you to write your own psalm of lament. Put it into words. Don't hold anything back. Your raw emotions and feelings, write it down. Because I know one day you would be able to revisit that very psalm of lament that you have written 
and you will also be able to testify. Your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness because we serve a God who is trustworthy. He is reliable. He keeps his covenant even to a thousand generations. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. As we stand right now, I want to remind us we're standing in the presence of God. And this God can see your heart. He knows what's happening on the inside. Absolutely nothing is hidden from His sight. Today, if you've come here and your heart is filled with gratitude, for all that he has done for you. You know, this is a time for you to express that to God. Give him the credit for all the blessings you have received. And yet I know there are others of you, as you look at your heart right now, the first thing that comes to your mind are not the goodness and the blessings and the love of God. You're overwhelmed by your burdens. Your heart is heavy. And I want you to express that to God. Remember, lament is an exclusive privilege of the believer. So you can be honest and tell God what you feel like. And God will patiently listen to you. And I pray that God will help you to move from lament to praise. So we're going to maintain a moment of silence and then after a time of reflection I'll close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege you've given to us to come before you just as we are. That we don't have to pretend or put on a show, but we can be honest in your presence. So I pray, dear Lord, especially for those who are going through a difficult season right now, would you hear their cries of lament? Would you be faithful to them of the promises that you have made. Would you comfort them even in this time of mourning? That you will open their eyes to be able to see beyond their subjective experiences and feelings and rely on the objective truths of your word. That every one of us here will be able to say from our heart one day that your steadfast love never ceases your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, you are trustworthy. You are dependable. We can count on you. You have promised to never leave us or forsake us. 
So God, this is your covenant with your people who have trusted in you. So we express our dependence on you today. Thank you once again for the privilege that we have of pouring your, our heart to you, fearing no condemnation, but knowing that you can absorb them all. Thank you, Father, once again for speaking to us, for ministering to us. May you continue to speak to each one of us the rest of this week, even as we celebrate this Thanksgiving weekend. And as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.